if you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Philippians, we'll be reading in chapter 4, verses 1 through 23, that's the entire chapter. Philippians 4, 1 through 23. Philippians 4, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Eudia and I employ Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lack opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I do all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we call to you with all our hearts. Please answer us, O Lord, for we obey your decrees. We call out to you, save us, that we may live in your statutes. We rise before dawn and cry for help. We put our hope in your word. We're ever vigilant to meditate on your promises. Hear our cry in keeping with your love. Preserve our lives according to your law, dear Lord. We come this day to look into your word and seek wisdom from its pages. Take this passage of scripture before us 
and open its wisdom to our hearts. Help us to grow stronger through its study. We pray these things in the name of your only begotten Son. Amen. In our last look at Philippians, we studied God's rule for a peaceful life. Paul gave three commands to make your life peaceful. He called you to rejoice in all things, show gentleness to all, and be thankful to God. In this last command, he explains about worry and its cure. He said the cure for worry was prayer. In that discussion, he showed there must be reflection that leads to action. You can't sit down and just pray and wait for God to build your house. I told you Paul does not overlook this concept. In verse 8, he makes it clear you have a very grave responsibility to reflect on everything in your life. He also, in verse 9, will show that of action must follow the reflection. But for now, I want to concentrate on your duty in your thought life. What stands out in this last chapter of Philippians is Paul has been busy with a list of commands for Christians to carry out daily. He began this chapter with the command to stand firm in the Lord. He also defined the Christian attitude that should be maintained. He followed with the commands to rejoice, be gentle, and thankful to God. In verse 8, he begins to show how to keep all of these imperatives. He gives a command, think about these things. He lists several things and says, this is the way to live a successful and obedient life. This man was imprisoned. If anyone, anyone had a reason for not thinking on things of good report, it had to be Paul. But that's not Paul's counsel. He knows these people are living under harsh conditions. They live in a world filled with every temptation possible. And his great desire is that they will remain in the peace of God. This man, this apostle, is not, an, is not ignorant of the struggles of Christian living in this dark world. He knows it's hard. He's doing it himself. He knows how hard it is to live out this Christian attitude. He sees Christians must be tenderly watched over by the peace of God. Remember, the peace of God is to guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You have a duty, a duty to walk in obedience so you can continue in the peace of God. Paul knows walking in obedience to the word of God was essentially tied to your thought life. When speaking of the thought life and what it is, some think of the higher intellectual pursuits, that would not be true. Uh, you all know me. I'm not some highbrow intellectual type. I'm just an old country boy. I'm not going to try and overwhelm you with some high-sounding theological nonsense I'm thinking. This sermon is for the average man, the man on the street. I will trust it will be intensely practical and will speak to each of you where you live. Everyone here, everyone, lives in a world that can place you under intense pressure. You're in a universe that can change in an instant. 
and a life that can weigh you down with problems from the workplace, where you can be overwhelmed with obstacles caused by health concerns, a place that can bring everything to a sudden stop because of domestic problems or troubles. Any of these things can leave you with no time to reflect on your thought life. But dear ones, it is of the utmost importance that you stop. Stop and take time and consider what you're thinking about. Consider your thought life. This is a very important concern. Nothing should be given more attention than how you carry out your thought life. What do you have on your mind? This is the central element of life. What are you allowing to go through your mind? You must understand this piece. Your relationship with God depends on how you control your thought life. This morning, we look at verse 8. And next week, we'll continue this study with some more wisdom from verse 8. This morning, we'll examine verse 8 with regard to this perspective of control. First, Let's consider the importance of thinking. Second, we will examine the control over your reflections. I really want you to see how important proper reflection is to your Christian life. This is the very heart of your relationship with God. It's all based in the grace of God. God provides everything you need for your fellowship with him. But as he has, as has been made clear before, you have a duty in all of this. You have a responsibility here. You come confessing your sins and repenting of them. You have to believe in Jesus as the one sent from heaven. God gives you the gifts needed to do all of this. He places the gifts of faith, the gift of repentance in your new heart. He gives this new heart as part of your redemption so you can fulfill your duty. Your heart is changed. How is it changed? By the grace of God. You are equipped by God's grace to renew your mind. All that is left is to get started. Paul declares in this in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, I've broken this down in, in uh, this idea of the importance of your thought life into five different areas. In each area, you'll see that Christianity is a religion that requires you to think. This idea of taking a leap of faith is nonsense. God wanted you to understand what you were doing when you turned your life over to him. So there's no leap into the darkness in Christianity. You have to think through what you're doing. The first thing you should recognize is that God is listening to your thoughts. Proverbs 15, 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. I don't know about you, but I find this both terrifying and at the same time comforting. You can see not only is the Lord displeased with the deeds of the evil person, but he also detests the evil person's thoughts. I know 
There are a lot of wicked thoughts that go through my mind every day. I displease my God, and that is a horrible thing. But look at the righteous. I also have, I hope, righteous thoughts. God is also looking at those deeds and those thoughts. He examines each person to see if their words and their thoughts are pure. The imaginations of the hearts of men are a part of their thought life. Listen to God's assessment of the thought life of unregenerate men. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It also, it's also declared in Psalm 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. The prophet says in Isaiah 66, 18, that God knows your imaginations. In Psalm 139, 2, you're told God perceives your thoughts from afar. In Genesis 18, verses 20, verse 12 through 13, you learn God knows the thoughts of one's heart. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Do you question the truth of this? That God knows our thoughts? I don't see how you can question what's so clearly declared throughout the Scripture. Not only does God hear your thoughts, he also judges based on those thoughts. He judges the thoughts, words, and deeds of all men. This is why it's so important to understand God is listening. The idea God is listening in on your most private thoughts, that can be a little disturbing. It is for me, anyway. For my thoughts are sometimes very unchristian. There is hope for those of you who are like me. One of the objectives of the gospel is to help you bring every thought into captivity to Christ. You're told in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, of the gospel, the gospel will help, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So how do you do this? How can you make this work in your life? You do it through the gospel. The gospel invades your heart and mind, helping you change your mind. You understand you can never be perfect in your thought life. But with the help of the Spirit, you can constantly grow in it. Remember, the one with the perfect thought life is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has that perfect thought life. So what is the true gospel here? Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This is the heart of the gospel. This is repentance. A man changing his heart and mind. Is this not the same thing as a man changing his thoughts? You can see this in the prodigal son, Luke 15. The son squanders his inheritance. He finds himself eating with the pigs. The scripture says he came to himself. In other words, his thoughts changed. He says, I was a fool. I'm going back to my father and asked him to treat me as one of his servants. 
His desire was to return to his father's authority. He changed his thought life. You can see a complete change in his attitude. This young man was touched. He was touched because of his sin and the results of his sinning. His thoughts went from all about self to concern for what he lost, his relationship with his father. In the gospel, there's this wonderful hope, Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is reform your thought process. David explains in Psalm 119.59, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. The gospel is the turning away from your selfish thoughts and turning to God in obedience to his word in your thoughts, words, and deeds, placing all of your trust, all of your hope in Jesus Christ and in him alone. It's Jesus' perfect thought life that's going to be ascribed to you when you stand before the Father because you have believed and trusted in him and in him alone. This should show how thinking is an essential part of the conversion process. It's of such importance because it comes from the depths of your heart and the secluded regions of your mind, places where you and God alone can know There has been a change. From the changes that begin here, they spread throughout your being into your words and deeds, and you become a testimony to the wonderful grace of God. The power of thought in God's creation belongs only to man. It's a very special gift given by the Creator to crown to the crown of His creation. Now, this is what sets men apart from the animals. Man was made in the likeness of God, and because of that likeness, he has the power to reason. He has the power to make decisions and choices in a responsible manner. In the fall, that power was weakened and perverted, leaving man without the help of God's grace in making his decisions. You can see the results of that weakening in his bad decisions. His decisions for such things as as evolution, for abortion, for euthanasia, for homosexuality, and many others. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot make correct choices. However, with his leading, you will once again be enabled to make right choices. You can use the gift of the Holy Spirit to once more adjudicate the things in your life from a divine perspective. You'll be able to think on the things of God and bring your thoughts into line with his glory. You will then be employed in the spread of his kingdom, but only, only when you properly apply this wonderful gift of thought as it was intended to be used for the glory of your God. What this reveals is that you're what you think. How do you reveal to those around you what you think? You have to use words. You have to use actions to express your thoughts. You can deceive people with words and actions. But even then, through your words and actions, they begin to see your hypocrisy. Now, you're reading along with the sermon. You'll find a line here that I made a mistake on. I said, do you understand there can be no hypocritical thought? Well, that's wrong. There can be hypocritical thought. Hypocritical thoughts begin in your flesh. That's what I wanted to get at. 
The Bible makes that very, very clear. You know your thoughts. You know what is behind them. They are never a surprise to you. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Understand, it is possible to live an outward, good, and seemingly spiritual life and yet still be dead inside. The Pharisees did it. They lived an outward spiritual life. Both saw it's great. They prayed regularly. They studied the word, fasted, wore special clothes. They tied God's word to their bodies, kept the law, tied everything. But all of these things were just that, outward things with no real heart meaning. Christ told them as much when in Matthew he called them a brood of vipers. Even back in Genesis, the word warned men, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts continually. The real person you are is what is mirrored by your thoughts and motives. It's your thoughts that build your character, that make you what you are. Your thoughts reflect who you truly are, your inner self, the person, that person only you and God can see and know. It is your most inner and deepest thoughts that motivate and govern your actions. Therefore, as a Christian, your thoughts must, must be linked to God's grace. How can you know this is the case in your life? You know it if you study the word and begin to allow it to renew your heart and mind. For you to delight in God's law, for you to meditate in the scripture, you've got to stop and think of it. You've got to give it a part in your thought life. It is then transferred throughout your mind where the Holy Spirit uses it to lead you into all truth. Before you act, you think, at least that's the prescribed method. Act first, think, act first, you get the picture. It's your thought life that is the foundation of your service to God. You are told what God does with your thoughts. Malachi 3.16, a book of remembrance was written for them that feared the Lord purpose of this book is to keep you focusing your thoughts on God's name. If you love God, if you serve him, he has those thoughts, those thoughts that are, are good and pleasing in his sight. He saves them in this book so they can bring glory to him forever. This book was written for God's people, to those who know him, to those he sets aside to serve him, to study his word, to those who emulate his character and seek his attributes, to those who believe in him and love him, to those who love one another in his name. What you learn from this is that despite desiring to know God, seeking to please him, offering prayers before him and carrying out his great commission, all begins in your mind, in your thoughts life. Richard Baxter, one of the great Puritan preachers, in speaking of these very things said, these are the principal parts of his service which are exercised immediately by your thoughts. 
If it is your desire to find God, then that search begins in your thought life. You have to control what you think. Jesus says, it is the pure in heart who shall see God. This is the same as having a pure thought life. You can see on the other side of this, it is the sign of the ungodly to reject God. You learn about the ungodly from Isaiah 65 too. A rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. To get a, a good insight into the thoughts of the wicked, you need but look to Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This shows that some men, some men can be very intelligent in the eyes of other men, but be fools in the eyes of God. That man, that fool, receives such judgment because of his thoughts. Paul tells you in Galatians 6, 3, many men, by thinking they are something, deceive themselves, for they are really nothing. In the lives of men, there's nothing more constant than their thoughts. You are thinking every waking minute of the day. The purpose of your mind is to think. Sometimes it's hard to shut it off when you want to go to bed. Please understand, it's not God thinking for you. It's your duty to think. You're responsible for your thoughts just as you're responsible for your actions. Paul was very concerned with the thoughts of the Philippians. He's also concerned with the thoughts of all believers. Why such concern? Because your thoughts are the essence of who you are. Paul never doubted that your thoughts were the direction of your will. He knew you could command your thoughts. You do have the ability to control what you think about. He declares in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In Mark 12, 30, you're given the first command by Christ. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is pretty straightforward. You have the duty, the duty to think and act as God's word declares you should. This says there are ways and means available to you to help you control your thoughts. Everyone here, I mean everyone, knows at times strong feelings can cause you problems with your thought life. We've all been there. We've all experienced it. The scripture tells you how to handle these situations. It tells you to flee evil. It says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It warns you to be careful about what you put in your mind. Be concerned about what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. It also says be careful of the company you choose to keep. The mind responds to stimuli. Listening to negatives makes you negative. Looking at pornography makes you lust. Keeping bad company makes you do bad things. Your mind can be moved. It can be led into different thought patterns by what you choose to allow in it. Based on this, Paul makes his appeal to you. He says you must keep the right things before your mind. 
he declares those right things are always the things of God. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What is it that allows you to have this type of control? So you can think on these wonderful and unselfish things. It begins when God gives you the new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He goes on in verse 27 to explain the benefits of this new heart and spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is the essential element of being born again. The receiving of the new heart and spirit. So you can be obedient to God in thought, word, and deed. It means God did a supernatural work in your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Your mind is being renewed. It's being made anew. Within you is now a power that leads you down a new path. It will lead you down the path that leads to God. With this power guiding you, you can never be lost. Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7 tells his young apprentice, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When you are born again, you're born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. His dwelling has a purpose. That purpose is to transform you into the image of his only begotten son. The scriptures tell you, your example for living this life is Christ. Well, how did Christ handle his thought life? John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of his own accord. John 14, 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. So you can see, Christ thought life was controlled by the Father. The Bible's quite clear on this, telling you in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You can have the same mind Christ had. You can get your word from the Father, just as Christ did. Go to the word of God. Study so you can think like Christ thought. There can be no doubt that the Christian life is the most difficult of all lives to live. The standard Jesus Christ is higher than any of us can ever reach. No man can reach that standard. We can never be as perfect as Christ in this lifetime. The Bible never denies this either. It tells you in Matthew 16, 24, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God knows how hard it is for you to do the things he's asked you to do. He knows it's hard to love your enemies, to love those who persecute you, those who slander you, steal from you, or kill you. Yes, he even knows how hard it is to get along with those whose personalities clash with you. This is a constant fight. It's a terrible battle. But by God's grace, it is not impossible. God gives you everything you need to carry out his commands. He even gives you what is needed 
when you fail. He provides the ability to get up and try and try again. He gives his word and all you need. All you need to do is use it. Use it to transform your mind. To reflect on the truths he gives. So that your mind is constantly being reformed by his word. In conclusion, let me just tell you. Where God is involved in the lives of men. Despair cannot languish and hope is always present. If you have not placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, let me show you the way into this extremely hard and completely satisfying life. If you will believe in Jesus, believe in him as the one sent by the Father from heaven. If you will acknowledge your sin and the sinful life that you have led. If you will repent of that lifestyle, then the promise given in Jesus can be yours. It can belong to any of us. The promise of a new heart, a new spirit, and his Holy Spirit to guide and direct you is there. He will empower you to live this hard but wonderful life. And he will fill you with his peace so you can think on whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. And on everything else that is excellent or praiseworthy. Won't you call on him today? Open your heart to him. Call on him in your heart. You don't have to get up and walk an aisle. All you need to do is call upon him. For today is the acceptable day of salvation. This is the time to begin that proper reflection in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it has been for us to be gathered here to worship you this morning. Our hearts rejoice in you, O Lord. In you our homes are full and filled, lifted high. Our mouths rejoice in your victory, and we delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like you, Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. You are a God who knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts and by you all deeds are weighed. It's not by our strength that we can prevail. You're the one who gives strength. You're the one who exalts your anointed. Hear our prayer. Bless those who hold to you and to you alone. In Christ's name, amen.